This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafuma. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything from t-shirts and jeans to sweatshirts and jackets. And of course, their legendary best hoodie ever. So you can fill your wardrobe with the pieces that will get you through your spring days, like the lightweight joggers and pullovers in the French Terry collection or the rich and polished premium slub crew tee. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, American Giant makes something that's sure to be your next closet go-to. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Find a closet staple for every part of your day at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use Staple 20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. Ladies and gentlemen, on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, we're happy to have with us an award-winning author who has written many books on the Black church and on Dr. King, including There is a Balm in Gilead, The Cultural Roots of Martin Luther King Jr., To Make the Wounded Whole, The Cultural Legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., and Never Leave Us Alone, The Prayer Life of Martin Luther King Jr. He is a professor, he is a professor emeritus, I should say, of religious studies at Vanderbilt University, Nashville, Tennessee, my hometown, uh, and much of Nashville's black faith community has become more and more connected to the university uh, as a result of great scholars like this. And we're thankful for that. We're here today to talk about his latest and obviously timely work in light of the holiday before us, The Ark of Truth, Thinking of Martin Luther King Junior. Professor Lewis Baldwin joins us on Make It Plain. Happy Martin Luther King Junior Day, Dr. Baldwin. Thank you so much for having me. It's an, it's an honor uh, mm-hmm. to have you here with us. And thank you for all your prolific work and study of Dr. King. There's never too much that can be written about him. Now, in this climate of truth, Lord have mercy, I don't know where it's gone. I, folks, uh, we could have almost done a whole broadcast on uh, Dr. Baldwin and I talking about our um, intersecting histories in Nashville. And I was sharing with him some of my family's pedigrees. Many members of my family were educators. Dr. Baldwin, I want to start this way. Thinking of Dr. King and his generation. Yeah. My parents, all of those. I think if some of them were alive today, remember how people said that Obama was post-racial. I I think now what we're really in is is post-truth, post-factual. That's right. If they saw the dishonesty, the disinformation that we see running rampant today, uh, Dr. Baldwin, I I really think they would have had a very, very difficult time with that, don't you? Yeah, I think so. And I think Dr. King would be speaking out about it. There's an absence of figures like him who are willing to really speak truth to power. And that's what we need today a transformational prophetic figure like Dr. King. I think he'd be speaking out. A lot of those leaders back at that time would really be speaking out about the dangers of this post-truth age. 
I think, too, we may need to acknowledge that when he was alive, there was a level of respect that even some in media had. We didn't have the proliferation of media we have today. We didn't have social right. media. Right. I shudder to think how he would have been treated in this age of, of hyper scrutiny, hyper disinformation, particularly disinformation targeting the black community. Um, how he would have been treated under those circumstances. That, I'm, that, that worries me. Yes, me also. Uh, he did experience some of that, as you well know, during his lifetime. Because there was a lot of, a lot of disinformation, conspiracy theory during that time. But I think it's worse today. We are witnessing this kind of thing on an unprecedented level. So I shudder to think, as you, what would be happening to him? I think he would be persecuted even more. And he probably would have been assassinated earlier because these are the political violence uh, fueled by the lies and, and, and the, the conspiracy theories and the disinformation are just almost unbelievable, certainly unprecedented. Oh, you're absolutely right. So l let's start this way, the arc of truth. Uh, talk to us about truth in the context of Dr. King and, and his quest for truth. Yes, well, Dr. King's quest for truth began in childhood. And we have to take into account the fact that he had a questioning attitude toward life, even as a child. He was always asking questions about the world around him, about the established order of things. Daddy King makes this point in his autobiography. He said, my son was always raising questions, trying to understand the world around him. So at age six, he lost a white uh, playmate due to his playmate's father's racism. And King asked his mother, why do white people hate us? And at age six, she sat him on her knee and she explained to him the facts of life, he says. She told him about slavery and segregation as part of the social order, but not a natural order. And, he's, and, and from that point on, I think that quest for truth uh, sort of escalated, if I might use that terminology, when he uh, left high school at age 15 to enter Mohouse College. I recall one of the letters of recommendation written on his behalf by a member at Ebenezer described him as an avid seeker after truth. And he was only 15 then. So I, I would say that's why I've argued in the book that this search for truth for Dr. King was lifelong, beginning in early childhood, extending through his academic pilgrimage at Morehouse, Boston, Crozer, into his involvement in the civil rights movement. Where he saw the civil rights movement as the practical application of the kinds of truths that he had been taught and had learned about in the academic settings. So it was certainly a lifelong search for truth. You mentioned the academic setting. Yes. In, in his religious study, talk to us a bit about how he was exposed to the truth or the quest for truth there in studying scripture, in studying philosophy. Talk to us a little bit, little bit about, if you would, how truth came to him through that experience. 
Yes, we know that in his early years, he uh, had what he described as unlettered Sunday school teachers who believed in biblical inerrancy, biblical literalism. And even as a child, Dr. King struggled with a literal reading of the Bible. You remember at age 12, 13, he questioned the, the resurrection. Uh, he struggled with biblical fundamentalism during those early years. And when he got to Morehouse College at age 15, he grew and he chose liberalism over fundamentalism because liberalism talks a lot about uh, the use of reason and the pursuit of truth, the importance of philosophy and theology as paths to truth. And it's interesting, Dr. King said, when I went to college, I had a deep interest in theology and philosophy because I had read some theology and read some philosophy, and I had come to see uh, that they afford paths to truth, not the kind of biblical fundamentalism that I was exposed to at Ebenezer Baptist Church by these unlettered Sunday school teachers. No, that, that's, that's important. As a matter of fact, uh, just recently, something I'm sure you're aware of, I, I was, it was suggested I look up a paper. I was visiting um, one of the leading African jewelry makers here in New York mm. by the name of Baba Heru. Yeah. Uh, and he makes African jewelry um, from Egypt or Kemet. Uh, as a matter of fact, some of you uh, may hear Eric, the, the musician, uh, Eric Badu, talk about him because he makes yeah. a lot of jewelry. Okay. And he says, Mark, are you aware that Dr. King wrote about the origins of religion in Egypt at one time in his life? And I said, I didn't know that. And I Googled it. It's actually... Um, at, at the Stanford Papers Project. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it and I, I was, it blew my mind. Yes. That, again, these were all, a lot of the things that we think are, we're just discovering today. He was, Dr. King, questioning these things and seeking these truths even back in, in the 50s. So he exactly. definitely was a truth seeker. Yes, absolutely. And I suspect that uh, his reading of W.E.B. Du Bois, I need to do some more research on that, had a lot to do with his interest, much of his interest in Africa, particularly ancient Egypt and Ethiopia. Yes. That's right. That's uh, because right. Du Bois, as you well know, uh, was living in Atlanta when Dr. King was growing up there. Uh, he ran in circles that Dr. King's father, uh, uh, you know, the same kinds of circles with Betty Mays and Martin Luther King Sr. and all of them. because So he had that kind of exposure. Yes, sir. And, of course, the Atlanta Daily World, the only black daily newspaper published in Atlanta, beginning in 1928, uh, the King family subscribed religiously to that newspaper. Mm -hmm. and, and often there were uh, uh, stories about what was going on in Africa and stories about ancient Egypt. So he had that kind of exposure also. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Is there, was there any relationship between his quest for truth and his conviction toward nonviolence? Yes. Uh, he came to see, as you well know, that uh, nonviolence for him was 
the ethical equivalent of truth. Uh, he often spoke of nonviolence as truth for me to achieve the truth for ends of the beloved community. And much of that came from his reading of Gandhi, of course, because Gandhi's uh, principle of Satyagraha uh, simply means that truth is equal love force or justice. Uh, so it came from his reading of Gandhi. It came also from his reading of the New Testament, particularly the fifth chapter of Matthew or the Beatitudes. Uh, so the Jesus ethic was quite important also. I would say uh, that King came to a sense of the Jesus ethic before he actually studied Gandhi. And that kind of exposure prepared the way for his acceptance of Gandhi. So I, nonviolence is truth, the way of truth in and Dr. It, King's thinking. And then ultimately the weapon of nonviolence, a weapon of truth against injustice. Injustices themselves are lies. Yeah. So it's, it's like, I think if this would happen to anybody. If you, once you open that door, you really, <laughs> Yeah, close it. The, the pursuit of truth becomes your being, does it not? It becomes the very essence of the person. Uh, Dr. King, um, he, he, he saw this as a life pilgrimage. He felt that every rational and moral person engages, engages in such a search. It's inescapable because in this pursuit of truth or this quest for truth, we get a better understanding of humanity, a better understanding of the world around us, a better understanding of life and our connectedness as human beings to each other and to a higher power. All of this comes into focus through this lifelong quest for truth. No, that, that, is, that is very important. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Um, we mentioned at the outset how King might have been treated today in this era of disinformation. We know he experienced it in his life. We know 
um, how prevalent it is um, uh, today. Mm-hmm. You, you, you address some of that. You, you talk about some of his own personal challenges. Yeah. Um, how did his quest for truth deal with that then? And, and how might he have dealt with that today, do you think? Well, he understood that there was certain risk involved in the search for truth. If you recall, he spoke of the search for truth as a cross that the prophet bear. And uh, so he expected to be persecuted. And also he expected at some point to lose his life because of his commitment to truth, his effort to, tra- to, to, to translate truth for me into truth for him. He knew the risk involved. And um, sort of like the Bonhoeffer view, when Christ bids a man to come, he bids him come and die. And Dr. King, in his Easter sermons, and I'm sure you've read some of those sermons, he often talked about uh, uh, Good Friday as representing, in a sense, untruth and, and the resurrection, representing the triumph of truth over untruth. And this is how he understood it. I mean, to bear truth, uh, to speak truth, is, it, is really bearing a cross. And when we bear that cross, we must be prepared for whatever happens. Because the risk to our very lives, uh, of course, is always a possibility. Essentially, um, for those who are Christian, Mm-hmm. taking up, seeking the truth, rather, is itself taking up the cross of Christ in the way Dr. King did. Yeah, yeah. Truth. It, it's redemptive, too, he said. You know, when you pick up the truth, you, when, you, when you elevate truth and, and pursue truth, uh, you may lose your life, but but there's there's something redemptive in Dr. King's thinking about this. Right, right, right. There's still something there. Is there? We we associate Dr. King obviously a great deal with love mm-hmm. and the principle of love. Is there a relationship, Dr. Baldwin, between the pursuit of truth and the pursuit of love? Yes, Dr. King spoke of love and justice as dimensions of truth. You really can. He talked about this interrelationship between love, power, justice, and truth. And of course, we know the impact of Paul, that Paul Tillich had on his understanding of Paul Tillich's book, book Love, Power, and Justice, and also Mohandas K. Gandhi, uh, were two very important influences on his understanding of the interrelationship between love, justice, power, and truth. And, and that too is, is very, very important. Yeah. Um, we have this holiday now. What are your thoughts about the way, the popular way in which Dr. King is, is remembered? What you've discussed with us today is extraordinary, is that very few people are, are talking about what you and I are talking about on this holiday. Most people, it, it's very small focus, mm-hmm. usually on the March on Washington. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Du Bois folks, uh, uh, the doctor mentioned Du Bois, but by the way, folks, we should acknowledge that Dr. King himself acknowledged at the Lincoln Memorial yeah. that Du Bois had passed away 
the day, eve, day before, day before yeah. the eve of the march on Washington, and yeah. and 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 he and A. Philip Randolph pretty much singled that out as a significant historical occurrence in terms of the the shift in generation and the passing of the torch, um, and for them to acknowledge Du Bois, who at that time was he was was radical to even acknowledge him because at that time he was in exile pretty much in Ghana, uh, yeah, in in Ghana in Africa, but. But what are your thoughts? Is there enough emphasis on the many, the myriad dimensions of Dr. King or are our celebrations and our remembrances and recognitions uh, still too one dimensional? I think so. I think the late Vincent Harding was right when he said that the problem is that we freeze King on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, where he talks about little white boys and little white girls holding hands. I mean, Certainly he believed in integration, but what about the king of, of 1968, I see the promised land, who attacked capitalism, who called for a radical re redistribution of economic resources in the interest of the poor, who attacked U.S. involvement in Vietnam. Uh, we, we want to domesticate king, and we see that happening in our society today. Uh, we don't want to deal with the heroic and radical dimension of his legacy. And, and so we freeze him on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. The king of I Have a Dream was quite different from the king of I See the Promised Land. And, and, and I think we forget that. And, and, and particularly disturbing for me, of course, is how many on the extreme right-wing spectrum uh, distorting Dr. King's words, using his words against affirmative action, against critical race theory. And uh, the gubernatorial candidate uh, from Arizona who lost the election uh, said that if King were alive today, he would be an America first Republican. But I found in reading volume six of Dr. King's papers that in 1950s, late 1950s, he actually gave a sermon on uh, worshiping the false gods of nationalism in which he attacked the America First Committee that was founded in 1940. And he said that that committee was isolationist. It was uh, really about white supremacy and he equated it with with the movements of Hitler and Mussolini and, and, and McCarthyism. Uh, so he attacked America first back in the late 50s, that concept. So I'm very disturbed at, at the ways in which uh, certain figures on the right wing spectrum, right wing of the political spectrum, uh, distorting Dr. King's word, hijacking his words in order to advance a, a, a conservative, social, uh, cultural, and political agenda for this country. As a matter of fact, even during the uh, debate around the election of the House Speaker, one individual, they were, as, as, as we all saw, they were, uh, they put Congressman Byron Donald's name up a few times from Florida. I remember. And one of the white members of Congress, I don't remember who it was, said, uh, this is an example of what Dr. King talked about, uh, putting somebody forward, not because of the color of their skin, but the content of their character. But it just clear, blatantly um, expropriating Dr. King's words toward their partisan political end. We, we've seen that. Um, exactly. 
Yeah. And, and you're right. We, we have some radical messages. He said, I'm afraid we've been integrating into a burning house. Exactly. He said that, which, which kind of supersedes the steps. Talks yeah. about integration on the steps. Now, yeah. if Lewis Baldwin and Mark Thompson say, I'm on the steps and this is what I see, us together. And yeah. then a few years later, we say, y'all, I don't know about this. This is burning up. It's you know, I think we would want people to pick up at the last thing we said. <laughs> yes, and, and Dr. King was raising serious questions about integration toward the end of his life. Yes, yes, yes. And he even said in his last speech, uh, last uh, written piece, which was published posthumously, a testament of hope that perhaps we, had, we need to think in terms of temporary segregation. Yes. Because he felt that blacks needed the time and space to create some power to bring to the integration process. Yes, yes. You see, you don't want to go to an integration process completely powerless. Yes, yes, yes. And so... He was very clear on that. And a lot of people forget integration for him meant not only mutual acceptance and intergroup and interpersonal living, it also meant shared power. And that's the dimension that often gets lost in our discussions about uh, uh, Dr. King's philosophy of integration. No, you're absolutely right. That, that is, these are all important mm -hmm. concepts to understand. Um, he had even, you know, at times he was reticent about the notion of black power even. But when he yes. did a final speech at the SCLC, he said black is beautiful. Yeah. And he understood it uh, yes. more. So the king who would have remained with us, I think we have a, a better glimpse of what would, what would have been, what might have become. And he was, as our esteemed guest has said to us folks, in constant pursuit. Yeah, the truth. And maybe maybe that's how we ought to start thinking about the holiday. Exactly. Uh, let's pursue the truth again. Right, right, Dr. Baldwin? Is that not what we should Yes, do? it's particularly important in these post-truth times. Because uh, lying, as one commentator says, uh, has been elevated to a new art form. Yeah. By not only politicians, but preachers and radio and television talk show hosts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, lying had become the norm and not simply a deviation from the norm. Yes, sir. Yes, and sir. it's hard to get people to a place of reality because uh, so many uh, succumb to these conspiracy theories and uh, this reality distortion world. Uh, so I think you're so right in saying uh, truth should be the key word, I think. Yes, sir. As we celebrate Dr. King in 2023, no question about it. No question about it. I, I agree with you and, and we appreciate you folks. Um, if you want to spend the holiday doing something and beyond the holiday, it's always important to read about Dr. King. He was a scholar. Here is a scholar writing about Dr. King. Let's continue. You know, we, we can't get all our knowledge and education from Netflix. It's okay. Read some book. Go back to reading some books, y'all. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> the Ark of Truth, the thinking of Martin Luther King Jr. by Professor Lewis V. Baldwin, Professor Emeritus of Religious Studies at, at Vanderbilt University, available everywhere. The Ark of Truth. Please read. Please, ma'am. Please, sir. Uh, Dr. Baldwin, such a pleasure to meet you and so warm to know that you are in my home. Next time I'm in Nashville, I'm going to have to come by and see you. Yeah, I hope to see you in the cell, boy. That's right. Mark. 
Oh, you are you going to come? You'll be there in March. I'm glad to be there. Wonderful. We look forward to seeing you there as well. Yeah. Folks, if, just so everyone knows, uh, this will be this year. It's uh, the 58th for Selma, but the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. That's right. The 60th anniversary of Megga Evers. Yes, it's assassination. The 60th anniversary of the Birmingham uh, 16th Street Baptist Church. Church yes. And the 60th anniversary of uh, the Birmingham movement and the Children's Crusade. That's right. And, and all of this was happening in, in that very short span of time uh, after the March on Washington in 63. So these will be uh, some sacred times. And we need to renew ourselves, renew our knowledge. Yeah. Seek the truth. This is, I'll be honest, this is one of the most important messages I think we've shared on a Martin Luther King Jr. Um, holiday. And, and it's important because I remember, I know you do, Professor Baldwin, when um, uh, Ronald Reagan was a nemesis of mine all the days he lived. Absolutely. And when he would not sign the bill. That's right. And he said Dr. King was a communist. That's right. He saw him as a radical. But then, as it says in scripture, to see that those, that, those images, that video, those pictures of Mrs. King standing over him while he had to sign that legislation. Thou prepares the table. He was writing on the table. Thou prepares the table yeah. before me in the presence of my enemies. He had to make it so. We have a duty, yes. folks, to make this holiday live up to the true meaning of Dr. King's creed. Yes, exactly. That, that's well put, excellently put. And, and that's what Professor Baldwin is challenging us to do with his great work and his great scholarship. So, folks, please, the Ark of Truth. Make, Make that your Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I think people should give each other gifts on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, just like Christmas. Give this book out. Let's people can be informed and knowledgeable in this post-truth disinformation uh, uh, era. Thank you. God bless you, Dr. Baldwin. Thank you. For God helping. bless you, man. Looking forward to seeing you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.